Storytelling is the oldest form of human communication. When we tell our stories, we connect with one another in a lasting, memorable way. And for women, this is especially true. Keep in mind, it's only been 101 years since we got the right to vote here in the United States, and we've been breaking through glass ceilings ever since. But it's the success stories that inspire us because they're roadmaps. We become inspired to say, if she can do it, I can do it. Hi, this is Candy O'Terry. Welcome to the story behind her success. In the spotlight, a dynamic woman whose story has been filled with twists and turns, but she believes that adversity is a great teacher. The path to success is rarely, if ever, a straight line. She's a media pro, a financial planner, a former technology sales superstar. She's a TED talker, a singer, an MC, a humorist, a content creator, a fearless entrepreneur, the CEO and founder of Miles in Heels. She's also a cancer survivor. Her name is Kim Miles, and this is her story. As we started to settle in for the interview, I told her, you know, I'm a really big believer in the power of childhood as the foundation of our beliefs and our principles. So I asked Kim to tell us where she's from and what her early life was like. I am from Boston. I'm from Winchester, Massachusetts, and I live there now as well. I actually spent about 10 years in Manhattan, which were very formative years for me. But when I met my husband, I actually asked him if he would be okay with coming back to where I grew up, and he was fine with that. And I can honestly say that I had an idyllic childhood. I mean, I had a really close, tight-knit family. I come from a very small family. It's just me and my brother. I was the eldest child and the only daughter. And so all that comes with older children and single daughters. Bossy, uh, bossy pants. Yeah, no, <laughs> leadership, leadership, leadership. Not bossy, leadership. But I have an incredibly close family. And so the reason I wanted to come back to Winchester is to be with them as an adult. And so it was an idyllic childhood. Everything. What was life like in your house? Just really full of a lot of joy and music and really emphasis on education. My father is an attorney. My mother did work, but then when we were growing up, she stayed home with us and always encouraged really whatever we wanted to try. We were not a huge sports family. We were more of a theater family. And while we definitely did do some sports, I think both my brother and myself, our hearts are really in the the arts and the creative side. Well, you are a singer, and that is a gift that we are born with. So you said theater was a big thing in your family. When did you start singing and were you like me with a hairbrush or what? Uh, for sure, anything. <laughs> a hairbrush, a carrot, whatever. Always on the stage, growing up on the stage from when I was very, very young. You know, children's theater. And of course, when I was in high school, I was in all the plays and I was in choirs and in all state choir and traveled to Russia with my choir to perform. And then when I got to college, I went to Syracuse University and I graduated from the Newhouse School of Public Communications with a degree in television, radio and film production. And, you know, unless you were sort of in the theater degree space, there wasn't a lot of outlet in terms of that. But what I did do instead was I actually executive produced and starred in a weekly television show, which was like a hybrid between Saturday Night Live and David Letterman. So I kind of pivoted that way. Instead of being on the stage, I was behind the camera and working the television angle that way. When you think about your childhood and you think about the influence that theater and music had on you, obviously, 
it lasted a lifetime. It's everything. I always joke that I sort of see my life in movie clips, or I see myself or my life in a scene on the stage. Everything sort of has a supporting soundtrack. (laughs) I can hear the scripting. I just really am a creative at heart. And so I think everything was shaped by the theater for me. After graduation, you started your work in television. New York City, number one market in the country. So many opportunities and so much to learn. You were an executive assistant to a powerhouse talent management company called Three Arts Entertainment. What was that experience like? I know some of their clients were bigwigs like Chris Rock and Rita Rudner and Howie Mandel. It wasn't great. I'm going, I will be honest with you. I think that the allure of being in television has sort of this cachet. And to be truthful with you, I think I was much more disenchanted with the dark underbelly of the industry. It was a bit disingenuous for me, and it didn't really align with who I am. I'm a much more sort of what you see is what you get, genuine personality. It didn't last very long. Uh, It was also a little depressing, I have to say. You know, these comedians who are really struggling. I mean, this was before Chris Rock was big. This was in the 90s. I mean, this was before Chris Rock was huge, and he had just come out with his first special. And these are people who are struggling and scrambling. And I'm looking at the motel accommodations that these comedians are staying at and the buses that they're taking to this college. And, you know, I'm looking at the the other side of things. And it just didn't scratch my itch the way I had hoped that it would. Sometimes it is other people in our lives who see our talents before we do. You have a story about a friend who suggested that you get into technology sales. To me, when I heard that story, I thought, (laughs) left brain, right brain. Tell us the story. It really is remarkable because up until that point, I had been doing all these jobs in television and in commercial production and all these things. And one very good friend of mine who to this day, God, she's so dear to me. She said, Kim, you're missing your calling. You're a natural-born salesperson, and I really think that you should try your hand at technology sales. And I thought to myself, what could be further from who I am than trying something in technology? But she was right because it's the sales aspect of my personality. It's about my being able to relate to people and my relationships that I forge with people. And she was right on the money. And I experienced an incredible career in technology sales for almost 10 years while living in Manhattan. And you were also somebody who, right place, right time, it was the dot-com explosion. So you were part of all of that. It was huge. I mean, God, it was like printing money a little bit. I felt a little guilty about it. But it was about the relationships that you forged. These people kept coming back to you. And in those days, Candy, I mean, people were opening offices just left and right and then just calling you and saying, you know, fill this order. So it was pretty heady. But, you know, just as as heady as that was, the decline was really, really eye-opening. And it was during that decline where I was involved with a firm and um, they were taking headcount for layoffs. And I volunteered because I really wanted to get back to Boston. It was also right around the time that 9-11 had happened. And I had been in New York for almost 10 years. I had met my then boyfriend, now husband, and I was ready. I was done with New York. And I raised my hand and I said, please, if you need headcount, send me back to Boston. I'd be happy to go home. Tell me what it was like for you to be in New York City for 9-11. The World Trade Center was my stop on the subway. I worked right down there on Wall Street. I mean, my office was right next to the World Trade Center. By the grace of God, I had a doctor's appointment that day, so I actually was not headed down to my office. 
I actually did witness the second tower being hit from the highway. I was on the New Jersey side, and I witnessed that. And then when I figured out what was going on and listening to the radio, it was kind of chaos after that ensued. But I was very lucky, and I was on the New Jersey side, and I got back to New Jersey, and I was locked out of Manhattan for quite a while. And I actually went home to Boston to be with my family because it was very, so very traumatic. upset. It was, everybody has a story. but You just described something. You're driving on a highway, and you saw that plane go into that building? I did. I saw the second plane. I saw that the first tower was on fire, but of course nobody knew what was going on. And so then you're listening to the radio, and then, you know, people are sort of driving and watching, and then I did see the second plane hit. And for those people who are familiar with the New Jersey Turnpike, there's this major fork right before the GWB, the George Washington Bridge, and there is this huge imposing sign for Fort Lee, New Jersey, that says in sort of screaming ominous letters, last exit in New Jersey. And with everything going on, the traffic stopped exactly at that fork for me. And I was able to turn around and go back to my boyfriend and not be stuck in Manhattan. So, After you voluntarily raised your hand and said, you can lay me off, you had a very pivotal phone call from your father who suggested you do something else with your life. Oh, gosh, I love this story so much because it's really at the heart of my journey. And it just goes to prove to everybody that the path through your journey is never a straight line. When I was figuring out what to do, it was my husband who said, you know, we're about to get married. Why don't you just take a beat and figure it out? And then my father called and my father said, you know, Kim, I just met with this client and he used to be an accountant and now he sells life insurance for this financial advisory firm. And I think you should have coffee with him. And I sort of looked at my father and I said, Dad, I'm your only daughter. Do you know me? Like (laughs) selling life insurance? I don't think so. But I sit before you here today. I've been a financial advisor with the same firm for almost 20 years. And it's, again, goes back to the fact that it's about relationships and people and talking to them and forging those relationships. And that's why I'm so successful at that. What was the lesson? The lesson, and this is what, you know, you asked me about my childhood. In my household, it was always the mantra of, you never know until you try. You never know until you ask. And why not? Why not try something? If you don't like it or if you're not good at it, so you pivot. And luckily, I loved it and was good at it. And I have put in a lot of sweat equity to that business. And I'm very proud of that. And I love my clients and I love helping them. But had I never tried that and had my father never looked at something in me and said, I know you could do this, I would have never, like ever, ever had done that. But it's been beautiful and great and extraordinary. And I thank my father for that all the time. You are a thyroid cancer survivor. You were young. You were newlywed, starting to think about children. This was a life-changing journey for you. Could you take us through some of that? It really is a huge part of my story, and I feel very proud now to be on the other side of it, to be able to share it with people without breaking down. Sometimes it is hard to tell your story when you're in the middle of it, but now I'm past it. I'm really proud of my story and happy to share with other women to help them. When I was very young and I was going in for a surgery, I remember that I was told that I had an enlarged thyroid and I probably should check it. And I did check it by the way of blood tests, but they had said to me that I probably should have checked it with an ultrasound. And I never did. But then when I got married and we wanted to have children, I thought it probably would be responsible of me to finally get that ultrasound. And thank God I did, because the minute I had the ultrasound, they found that there was 
a very large nodule on my thyroid, and it was biopsied, and immediately the entire thyroid was taken out because it was cancerous. And that sort of process, if you will, there's a very long sort of process after that with ingesting radioactive iodine to sort of take care of any other follicles and things. But what they basically say to you is, you cannot get pregnant during this time because you've got to overcome this first, and then you can work on getting pregnant. Well, unfortunately for me, that was, you know, in my late 30s, early 40s. And so here we are, we've lost all of this ground, we've lost all of these years, and by the time we kind of got to it, we had gone through three rounds of IVF. And on the third round of IVF, I did actually get pregnant, but I actually uh, miscarried five weeks later. And unfortunately, it was a very, very traumatic and sort of painful and complicated situation. It wasn't just your basic miscarriage. They thought I was having an ectopic pregnancy, but I wasn't. So I was rushed into emergency surgery and they removed a fallopian tube, but they found out that they didn't need to at the end of the day. And so it was very complicated and it was very challenging. And so what came out of that was my husband and I kind of looking at each other and saying, you know what? We have spent most of our marriage dealing with health issues and health struggles and health challenges. And, you know, maybe it's just okay for us to be married and enjoy each other. And we chose to forge our path as a married couple and chose to be child-free. And that's an expression that I'm really interested in hearing because very often when a woman goes through something like that, she feels that she's childless. You've described this as child-free, as a decision that you and your husband made. We're going to enjoy our lives together. Child-free is huge for me because when people talk about being childless, it has an intonation somehow that I am less than someone who has children. And it couldn't be further from the truth. My life is very full. I run two hugely successful businesses. I am full of friendship and fun and hobbies and wonderful things. And so my path just looks different than what other people's path looks like. And so the choice to be child-free was a conscious decision, but it was the right decision for us. And so I really applaud people who celebrate their child-free status because it shouldn't be a stigma. And it shouldn't be something that people are ashamed of. If that's your path, celebrate it. Own it like I have and help others celebrate it as well. You founded Miles in Heels in 2014, and your company is a beautiful blend of all of your talents. Describe it a little bit to us. So Miles and Heels Productions was really born out of just a terrific story. I'll just encapsulate that for you quickly. When I started my financial advisory practice, I came back to Boston and I went to my local chamber of commerce and I said, what do you have for women in business? And they said, well, we used to have something, but we don't anymore. And being the kind of person that I am, I said, well, I'll fix that. And I started a networking group for women. And by pure happy accident, it turned out to be that I ended up executive producing and emceeing a huge fundraiser for the Chamber of Commerce, which ended up selling out at 700 seats every year for 10 years. We raised more money than the town had ever seen in the Chamber. And after 10 years of doing that on a completely volunteer basis, I really realized that I could put my own moniker on this and help other organizations do exactly that. And that's how Miles and Heels Productions was born. In your 2021 TEDx, you talk about conforming and conformity, bridging the gap of life experiences, loving the version of your life you choose to live. Yeah. 
My signature line from that TEDx talk, which was one of the highlights of my professional and personal life, but really my professional career, is bridging the gap between your projected future self and your perceived actual self is an act of self-love and acceptance. It's about reconciling that. Does my life look like what I thought it was going to look like? No. Is my life beautiful and full and happy? Yes. And it doesn't always end up the way that you want it to end up, but there can be celebration in that. And so I really encourage, especially women, to take a look at where they are and to understand that there's a lot of joy in their journey, and they likely are in where they're supposed to be. They just have to embrace that. In your opinion, what does it take to be a successful entrepreneur? Because it's pretty scary to go out there on your own, isn't it? It's very scary. I'm very much a leap-before-you-look kind of a gal. I love to encourage others to do so because I really feel like you're never going to know unless you try. Every single thing I've done ever has been under that kind of umbrella, if you will. And so as an entrepreneur, if you have a fire in your belly about something— just give it a try. Don't be the thing in your own way. Don't be the thing that holds you back. At least take steps toward that. And I mentor a lot of women to do exactly that because I feel so strongly about it. We learn something from every single job that we have. What have you learned along the way that you bring to Miles and Heels Productions? To never, ever, ever compromise on myself and to change who I am to conform my personality or my energy level, to dim my light for others. I may not be everybody's cup of tea. What you see is what you get in both areas of my professional life and certainly in my personal life. And be yourself and you will always guide yourself by being yourself. You are still singing. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing. You've got your own band and and give us a glimpse at your set list. What oh, kind of songs do you sing? God, my band. What are you and I going to sing yes, together? Yes, we totally have to do something. How much fun would that be? The name of our band is Miss Elanius. Two words, M I S S. Elanius. We have two female singers. And the whole play on words there is that we literally sing everything and anything. I mean, we sing country to bluegrass to pop to disco to classic rock and we sing at private parties, charities. We just love to be together and make music. And we're not doing it to make a million dollars. We're doing it just to feed our souls. It's a true passion project. I just turned 50 this past year, and I'm really trying to work on being truly present at all things that I do. I'm such a highly driven person, and I'm such a typical type A personality that it's always about, ooh, what's next? And I get really excited about what's next, but I do really want to train myself to be a bit more present because I think it's a good lesson for all, and I may not be the best at it. I try real hard, but I'm, I'm working toward it. One of the questions that I've been asking women recently is how the pandemic changed them. So professionally, what I can say is that I have pivoted gloriously to the art of executive producing virtual events and hybrid events for my clients, which has been extraordinary. And I have wonderful partners with whom I produce these events, and it's just been a seamless pivot, frankly. Hard work, but seamless. Personally, I just think that I care a little bit less about some of the smaller stuff. I think everybody has kind of been a bit more introspective. I know that I have. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? Well, in my, in my later years, I've become very good at taking a beat, 
not reacting and pushing send on the email, not picking up the phone and making the phone call, sleeping on it for a minute, talking it through, having a moment. And I do find that with a little bit of time, things become clearer and give you sort of the right path on how best to respond. So I think that taking a beat and kind of sifting through it. And sometimes I'll say to my husband, you know what? I just need you to listen. I need to do like a brain dump with you. And even doing that makes me feel better. But just taking a beat and not reacting in the moment has always served me well. You know you've chosen a great guy when you can just do one of those brain dumps with your husband. (laughs) I do that all the time. What is the best piece of advice, Kim, that you've ever received? And can you share that with our listeners today? I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I'm going to have to say that it was my parents' mantra of what have you got to lose? I mean, I didn't go to business school. I didn't have a business plan. I just said, I think I can do this. And one of my best friends, I'll never forget, I took her out for dinner, plied her with a couple of margaritas. And I said to her, so I've got this idea. What do you think? And she just sort of looked at me quizzically. And I said, oh, gosh, you think that this is a terrible idea. Don't you start in this business? And she looked at me. She said, no, Kim, I'm looking at you because I'm just wondering what took you so long? And I thought to myself, wow, well, if that doesn't say something, and here I am almost eight years later with a really thriving practice, two thriving practices, 20 years later and eight years later, and very proud to be able to wear both hats. You know, your TEDx talks are very inspiring, and they talk a lot about how to lead a life. So I'm wondering if you can reveal what do you think is the secret recipe to a happy life? I do think being authentically yourself, I've never tried to be something that I'm not. And like I said before, I may not be for everybody, but at least I'm happy in my own skin. Being authentic with yourself, but being authentic with others. I know for me, one of the things that my mother always taught me is about being a good person to other people in the way of family members and friendship, and it will come back to you a hundredfold. And I really do pride myself on the relationships that I forge, both personally and professionally. If you're a friend of mine, you're a friend of mine, and I will always be there for you. My family means everything to me, and I do really treat my business the same way. If you're in the mix with me and I'm taking care of you, I'm really taking care of you. Final question. We ask everyone who sits where you are. Right now, in this chapter in your life, what does success mean to you, Kim? I have to be honest with you. When I say my prayers, you know, and, I, and I'm thinking of others and myself, I always ask for health and happiness because I can honestly say being somebody who has struggled with health issues, if you don't have that, you don't have anything. So if you're healthy and you're lucky enough to be surrounded by love and light in your life, I feel that the rest will fall into place. I'm a very lucky person, and I'm also an incredibly grateful person. And I think that in my writings and in my content creation, I think that that gratitude really shows through. Well, I know that I'm feeling really fortunate to have spent this time with you. Kim Miles, founder of Miles in Heels. Go to milesinheels.com to find out more about Kim. Thank you so much for being this week's guest on The Story Behind Her Success. Thank you, Candy, so much for having me. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you so much. And that's the story behind her success for this week. If you know a woman I should interview for the show, reach out and tell me about her. Just go to my website, candyoterry.com. There's also a full library of stories for you to listen to anytime you need a little dose of inspiration. Follow me on Facebook at Candy Oterry Official and on all other platforms. 
at Candy Terry. And whether you're listening on one of our radio affiliates or from your smartphone, we'll have a fresh episode for you next week on the story behind her success. And remember, when we lift each other up, we all rise. <laughs>